the end zone, has a man open, touchdown, Justin Blackman. Another episode of Locked On Pokes. I'm your host, Colby Powell. Glad everyone is with me today. I am joined today by Jack Klein, who joins us as often as he can on Fridays. Jack, glad to have you in. NFL draft last week, the NCAA making waves this week, trying to get some players a little money in their pockets. We got a lot going on. It's been a pretty good, uh, you know, last sports week. You know, it was almost like a whole day of obligation last Thursday. It was like you're just building up for almost felt like a second Christmas for the year. Yeah, it did. It was weird. Yesterday uh, was 50 days since the last sporting event was played, the last professional sporting event was played in the United States, which is unfathomable that it's been 50 days. It it feels like it's been 150 days, but we did at least have the draft last week. Um, of course, A.J. Green goes undrafted, which was a huge surprise to me. Most everybody I saw had him grade in the fifth. I saw some sixth round grades, uh, some sixth round grades, and then he winds up being an undrafted free agent who signs with Cleveland. Now, the one thing I did see was that a bunch of teams were fighting for him and offering big money, and he got 145000 fully guaranteed as an undrafted free agent, which, you know, isn't a lot of money in the grand scheme of things when you're talking NFL contract-wise, but for an undrafted free agent to get 145000 guaranteed, that's a pretty good chunk of change. Yeah, you know, I was just really shocked because you look at all those teams, and, you know, you know, now with the way that the NFL has played, it feels like corner is one of the, what, top four most important positions in the league now. You know, you see a team like the Patriots who have had sustained success. They've got a guy like Gilmore. You see guys like Byron Jones from uh, well, How Dallas long has New England been, been from, good on that side of the ball? And New England has rotated through like Darrell Rivas and then Malcolm Butler and now right. Stephon Gilmore. And they always have a stud at that position. Yeah, I'm just surprised he didn't get a shot. You know, you saw a bunch of these undersized guys, you know, go in, in like the, the fourth and fifth round. So you kind of thought that, well, I mean, that's kind of the range that we thought that A.J. Green was. I mean, was there like something that we didn't know? Like, is there... Like a no. backstory with that, or is Th- like- this is my theory. My theory is that he, he ran the bad forty at the combine. He ran a four six two at the combine, and he improved right. on that a little bit at his pro day. He got that around down to around a four five two at his pro day. He said that he he wasn't physically fully right at the combine, so he got that number down at his pro day. But I, I don't think that with COVID and everything, I don't think he had enough time, enough workouts in front of people to get them to forget about the four six two because. 26 corners went ahead of A.J. Green, and I know he didn't run a great 40 time at the Combine, but if you put on the film, the guy can cover. I mean, he can really cover, and I'm not saying that you know some of those other guys in the draft didn't deserve to go where they did, but 26 guys went ahead of A.J. Green, That boy, that seems like a lot. Yeah, you know, I think that I really believe he should have been about a fourth-round guy, and I, you know, that's what I'm saying. I don't really know what the issue is. You know, I think that Part of it is that I do see that, you know, the NFL does for a while on the 40 times. I mean, you see a guy like, um, you know, the uh, Henry Ruggs get drafted over Judy and CeeDee oh. Lamb, and it's like that, that – it just it doesn't make any sense. And, you know, and it's like they put so much of an emphasis on that 40 time that I think that if you do have a bad showing on that 40, that that's where it hurts you. You know, those guys, that's how, you know, you know regardless if it's good or bad, that seems like that's how – these NFL gyms are thinking now where it's like, you know, if you can't get speed, they're just not going to draft you because it's like they can get it, get you an undrafted and then test you at that point, which is why AJ Green got 
um, you know, got some of those offers there. I guess the one question I have is I've, I've never understood where if you're a team and you're drafting in the seventh round and there's a guy that you want, like an A.J. Green that's got multiple offers, why wouldn't you just draft him? Yeah, I don't in know. In the seventh round, I, I mean, I you're know. not really – I mean, it's not like you're giving up a ton. You're in the seventh round. Like, but but then it's like on one of those guys. It's like I had Dion with on with me on Wednesday, and he's like, you know, maybe being undrafted isn't the worst thing. If you get drafted at pick two fifty, sure, you're going to get a little bit more money right at the start, but you don't get to go where you want. The good thing about being an undrafted free right. agent is he got to pick somewhere where uh, I'm assuming his primary concern was picking somewhere where he can stick on a roster. Obviously, if you stick on a roster, you make the 53-man roster, the, the money that you make, uh, it's just it's a lot different from that training camp and that practice squad money. So he was able to choose where he wanted to go, which I think was probably uh, a big factor for him. Did you see how the Big 12 did overall in draft picks in com- comparison to the other Power 5 conferences? Well, I know that obviously the, it felt like the entire SEC got picked. Um, <laughs> Every player who took a snap last year in the SEC was drafted. That's that's what my data tells me. Are, are they going to have a league next year, or are all their guys gone? Uh, they are replacing them with future NFL draft picks. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah, so I good mean, for them. The, I, the SEC had I sixty-three think... guys drafted. There were two hundred and fifty-five picks. They had 63 guys drafted. Uh, so off the top of my head, that's roughly twenty-four percent of the entire draft was SEC. Yeah, I think that those, you know, I think that regardless of, you know, how we feel about the Big 12, is I think that they don't get a ton of respect, especially if you're a defensive player in the Big 12, unless you're a guy like, um, you know, Murray, who's like, I know he got picked over to like 23rd. Um, yeah, 23rd to, uh, yeah, tell up for him. And it was just, it was such a great deal, but it's like he was super productive. And I feel like he was everywhere on the field. And, you know, now it's like I think they just don't care about the Big 12 guys. I think the sad part is is that I mean, would A.J. Green have gone undrafted if he would have just played in the SEC? There's, you just can't convince me that if he played it, not even had to be a good one, like a Mississippi State or an Ole Miss that he wouldn't have gotten drafted. Yeah, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Tennessee – even a school like that that you know is historically great but hasn't been uh, real good late Texas A&M schools like that uh, let's take a quick break and then we're going to go through the uh, the conferences because I, I think you'll be surprised at just how far down uh, the Big 12 is in comparison to the other Power 5 so we'll get into that next with Jack want to remind everyone to go see our friends at Simply Green Pharmacy in Stillwater 617 East Redbud Drive you can also find them online at livesgf.com head that way they will take care of you and as always tell them locked on on pokes sent you you can find me on twitter at colby j powell at locked on pokes make sure you head over to lockedonpodcast.com and check out everything the locked on podcast network has to offer and you can follow jack on twitter at jack underscore klein three more coming up next on locked on pokes part of the locked on podcast network your team every day Welcome back to Locked on Pokes. Colby Powell, Jack Klein with you on a Friday. So we're talking about the different conferences and where everybody fell in in the draft. So we already mentioned the SEC had 63 draft picks last week in the NFL draft. So, um, Jack, uh, you know, you haven't seen these. So which conference would you guess? It's it's not a trick question. Which conference would you guess had the second most picks? The Big Ten. Yeah, the Big Ten. And, and there was a pretty big gap. So from the SEC to the Big Ten was 63 to 48. 
48 in the Big Ten. So the, the drop from the Big Ten to the next best conference was, was 16 spots. There were only 32 for the next best conference. So uh, this one might be a little tougher to guess. What, what, which conference do you think came in third? All right, so this is hard because I'm not, like I said, I haven't looked at this. I think it's between the Pac-12 or the ACC. I'm going to go to ACC. It was not the ACC. It was the Pac-12, which surprised okay. me a little bit whenever I saw it because, you, you right. know, you think ACC and you think Clemson. So you, so it seems like right. you're, you're, you're seeing a lot of Clemson throughout the draft, but really it's just Clemson. I mean, Clemson had, I don't even know how many guys, probably 10 or 12 guys drafted, and then the rest of the ACC uh, didn't have much. So the Pac-12 had 32 guys drafted. The ACC had 27 guys drafted. The Big 12 had 21 players drafted from the 10 schools. So obviously 2.1 per school. TCU led the way with five picks. But I understand the Big 12 has less schools, and that plays into it. And if you do it on a per-school basis, picks per school, you get the Big 12 a little bit closer to the ACC and the Pac-12, but whenever recruits look at this, the, the high-level guys, Jack, they're making business decisions as 16 to 17 year, old, year olds when they commit, and w- what the numbers tell these recruits is that it's harder to get to the NFL from the Big 12, and, and I don't know what you think about that or, or what the solution is, but that's a big hurdle for every team in this conference to overcome when they walk into a kid's living room. Yeah, absolutely. I think that what the Big 12 does is I do I do really believe that if you're a good offensive player, especially if you're at a skill position on offense, not necessarily like an offensive lineman, but like receiver, you know, the receiver or even the Big 12 does receiver really with, well with right with Baker and Kyler and you know Jalen Hurts even. That's more so just OU though than the whole Big 12. <laughs> <laughs> right, but I mean, even so. I mean, you've seen West Virginia guys get in the league. I mean, you've seen Oklahoma State guys get yeah. in the league. So, I mean, I, I think that it's – I don't know how you go into one of these, you know, these, these kids' homes if they're one of the better cornerbacks or if they're one of the better defensive linemen and try to convince them to come to the Big 12. I, you know, I think that, you know, really the Big 12 should be up there. I mean, it's like, okay, if you want to say the Big 10 in terms of, you know, Big 10 and SEC in terms of their physicality, in terms of those players just being – all in, ready to play, you know, day one in the NFL, that's fine. But to me, there shouldn't be that big of a gap between not just the Pac-12, but, I mean, the ACC. Like, I mean, I know that they have Clemson, but it's like the bottom of that conference is terrible. Um, and you see, you know, with, with the, the Big 12 where, where, I mean, Kansas is really bad. I mean, Kansas is – it doesn't sound like they ever have any of these draft picks that, that come out and – end up doing anything. I mean, yeah, they have Akeem Talib, but <laughs> how long ago was that? And I think it's just trying to, you know, convince more well-rounded players to, to come into the Big 12 that's not, you know, one of those offensive skill players. Yeah, offensive skill guys. That reminded me of Jaden Nixon's commitment uh, on Wednesday at Oklahoma State. He's a running back. He's a junior right now at Lone Star in Frisco. And uh, you, you, you know who his player comparison is? Now, you, you might want to be sitting down for this, but I saw this yesterday on Twitter. People were comparing him, looking at some of his film, to a guy who once upon a time played football at Oklahoma State named Tyreek Hill. I'm, I'm, I'm watching the highlights. This kid's fast. He is. He is fast. But that's a tough comp for me. That is a tough well, comp for me because that's a different <laughs> level of speed. You're also talking about, you know, me being a Chiefs fan. And like, but this is the Tyreek Are you Hill a Chiefs fan? They have the get out of here. <laughs> you, like, 
that's the thing, though, is that that's where you see a guy like Henry Ruggs get drafted before those other guys because, like, a guy like Gruden and other guys see the speed and they're like, man, how big of a difference maker is, you know, Tyree Kill for the Chiefs? And he is a huge one. But the biggest difference is not only he's got the best player in the league thrown in the football, but you can't – it's like his instincts are really good. Even at Oklahoma State, it's like, you know, we go back to his biggest play was obviously the punt return against OU. And it's like that was the only way that OSU won games. Is he was just like he was so much faster. I remember at the beginning of that year when they played Florida State, and he was just running around that Florida State team that you know won a won a national title. And you're like, okay, he has got something transcendent. You know, he's like he's got some unbelievable speed, and he's been a heck of a pro. I always hate whenever you know they compare guys to those elite players as a position. I guess I kind of do too because like, because now we all expect him it. to come in and run a four two. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I'm watching, I'm watching about, his highlight film right now. He's got like a seven and a half minute uh, huddle film. If you Google, if anybody wants to look at this, you can just Google Jaden Nixon 247. And whenever you pull up his profile, if you scroll down just a little bit, it'll pop up like his seven and a half minute huddle film. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I, I say I don't like the comp, but I mean, I'm watching him run past people. The, the kid's a speedster. He's uh, he, he's an 856 ranked recruit on 247, so he's a pretty solid three-star, uh, 93rd overall recruit in the state of Texas. So uh, definitely a good player, but you, you mentioned those skill position guys. Those are the guys that are coming to the Big 12, and that's the guy Oklahoma State landed on Wednesday. Skill position guy. Uh, I'd really like to see, gee, I don't know, a rush end maybe. Maybe a four-star rush end or a linebacker or a defensive tackle. One of those big boys that uh, that we saw getting drafted over and over and over again from Ohio State and Alabama and LSU and Clemson and Miami and all, all these other Michigan, Wisconsin, Iowa is getting these guys on the defensive side of the ball. It, it's just a style of play thing that the Big 12 is not matching up with what these re- recruits want to see right now, and it's hurting big time, big time, big time on that side of the ball. Well, it feels like, and, and I could be wrong on this, so definitely tell me, it feels like they, you know, whenever these draft and these talent eva- evaluators don't feel like the Big 12 players are tough enough. It always feels like, hey, we can go and get these Wisconsin linemen or Wisconsin linebackers. It's like they, it's like they know what they're going to get out of those guys. Where I don't know if it's, you know, maybe people not thinking that those Big 12 players are, you know, I guess on defense, you know, tough enough in terms of did they go through the rigors that, you know, that the SEC or the Big Ten go through. But I do think the counterpoint that people don't mention is the Big 12 has got all the best offensive players. Like they've got so many good skilled players. And even the, you know, the worst quarterbacks in the league are still average in other conferences. You know, you see a guy like Jared Sidham, he was at Baylor, and then he goes over to Auburn, he still lights it up there. So I think that, you know, I, I don't know. I feel like there's still a ton of talent here. I think it's just different. I think it's just more offensive focus, which, is why we have such high scoring games. And I, you know, as a fan, I'd rather watch teams score 40 points than seven. Yeah, I would too. And, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up, the stereotypes of the different conferences. I think if we were to, to boil down the stereotype of the Big Ten and SEC to one word, that word would be power. And then if we were to boil down the stereotype of the Big 12, that word would be finesse. And I think that that's kind of what people look at and what people see uh, whenever we look at the Big 12. But enough on that. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back on the other side. I want to get Jack's thoughts on players being able to profit off their name, image, and likeness, the transfer uh, rules, the transfer vote that came down yesterday in the NCAA. That's all coming up. Stay with us here on Locked on Pokes.
Welcome back. Wrapping things up here on Locked On Pokes. Colby Powell, Jack Klein with you on a Friday. Reminder, once again, go see our friends at Simply Green Pharmacy to get ready for the weekend. 617 East Redbud Drive in Stillwater, the corner of Redbud and Perkins, just across the street east from the Apple Creek Apartments. You can also visit them online at livesgf.com. Head that way and tell them Locked On Pokes sent you. All right, uh, Jack, a lot has been going on this week with the NCAA, mainly the name, image, and likeness rules. Uh, had a great conversation on Wednesday with Dion, and if anybody listening hasn't listened to that podcast with Dion, I highly recommend it. He played at Oklahoma State. He knows what it's like, and he talked about what it's like to be in the locker room knowing that all this money is around you and that you're a huge part of what's bringing in all this money and you have no access to it. So we talked about that on Wednesday. So go back and listen to that podcast. But um, Jack, I think that this is a a first step in the right direction. That They're going to allow this to happen where student athletes can make money by modeling apparel. They can make money from advertisements. They just can't have any school logos or any school marks on anything that they're modeling or advertising. They can't do any banned uh, substances or, or gambling operations. And they can hire agents, but that's only going to be able to help procure marketing opportunities. That agent cannot help them seek professional sports opportunities and uh, any details of endorsement contracts would have to be disclosed to the athletic department. So it, it look, I don't think that there is a perfect system for, for collegiate athletics because it's amateurism and it's not, and, and there's so much money going on, but I think this is a good first step in the right direction. Yeah, I do too. And I think that that's, you know, not to go too far off the, the track, but I think that's one of the things we talked about last time, which was, okay, we'll see, you know, at least for basketball, how to get those high school prospects that are now going to go to the G League over college sports. This would also help that, you know, if guys can get paid where they can, you know, still get something just for autographs or stuff like that and go into, you know, an Oklahoma State or a Duke, then I think that that makes it way more competitive to where at least for basketball, I feel like you can get some of those one-and-done guys until they, you know, get rid of that rule here in a couple of years. But, I mean, I think it's a good thing. I mean, I think that, you know, you look at some of these guys where it's like, how much money could have could Tim Tebow have made? Like, I'm just asking in all seriousness, how much money could he have made through college? Yeah. How much more money could Johnny Manziel have made? <laughs> <laughs> well, and again, and those two guys, I mean, obviously one actually won a playoff game and the other one didn't. But, I mean, it's like, those guys didn't exactly have terribly long NFL careers, but they could have at least, you know, gotten an exclamation point on their college career and at least yeah. gotten some, some money here and there, which I think, I mean, I don't know. I mean, think about how much money, even like looking at the Big 12, how much money did Baker bring into OU? How much money did Kyler oh, yeah. bring in? A ton. They a brought ton. in so much money because not only they're Heisman Trophy winners, but because they're, they're insanely talented players at the most important position. Now I get it that it's not going to be that way for like, you know, like left tackles, even though, you know, you see a guy like Andrew Thomas from Georgia get drafted at four and all those big offensive linemen off the board in the first 13, 14 picks. But again, it's for those other guys that are just, I, don't know, I mean, like how much money could Chuba make? Like I'm like thinking about OSU. Well, I mean, how much money could Chuba make in a year if he was just doing autographs? And, and the big thing, 
you talked about the basketball guys, and I, I don't know about you, I am terrified every day that I'm going to get on Twitter and I'm going to see that Kate Cunningham has decided to go play in the G League. I, I, I'm terrified that that's going to happen because we're seeing it happen with all these other guys around the country. And with the G League, uh, I know the number one guy, I don't know about these other these other guys, but the number one guy is getting like a ha- half-million-dollar contract for the year, and he can get endorsement deals. Well, obviously, if you come play collegiate athletics, you wouldn't be able to get that half-million-dollar deal. But if you are one of those guys, especially in basketball, like like the Cade Cunninghams of the world, you're going to be able to get something with Nike or Adidas that's probably going to be even more than than half a million dollars. I don't know if they're going to cap this or how they're going to regulate it, but you're going to be able to make a pretty good chunk of change doing that. And then if you can make enough money that the half million at that point becomes insignificant for that additional salary, well, then why do you want to play in the dumpy G League for a year when you can come in these nice multi-million dollar locker rooms and play in the tournament and do all this fun college experience stuff and still make a little bit of money. So I think that, like you said, with basketball is where this can make the biggest difference. Yeah. I mean, see, like last year, how much could Zion have made? I mean, Zion was one of the most polarizing players to come out in college in a really long time. He could have made so much money. And I guess it's not like it's, you know, a ton of money, like comparing it to like the NBA. But again, me and you who grew up loving, especially college athletics, this is a way to keep these guys, you know, football is different because I don't think they're ever going to change those rules. Players well, have f- to be, football right you know, now, a couple years removed. Fr- from a standpoint of like getting players to come to college to play football, college football is not broken from that perspective. College basketball is to an extent broken. I grew up loving college basketball, and college basketball was it was phenomenal to watch, and the stands were packed for every game all over the country, and now it's only at the Blue Bloods, and the, the model of college basketball is broken, and hopefully this is a first step toward fixing it, and then like you said, the one-and-done rule changing in a few years will help too. Yeah, for sure. I think that, you know, that's the one sport that, because, you know, football's obviously, I feel like those are, it's always going to be number one, even with all the safety concerns, everything else. It's just a polarizing Football sport. is king. Right. And so about the thing you have to worry about basketball, that's going to be your second biggest producer. But, I mean, a lot of these kids, they grow up watching March Madness. They want to participate in it. And so I think giving them another reason to not only, you know, basically try to make up the money and the experience to meet what that G League salary is going to be. Yeah, absolutely. And then the other thing that the NCAA got into yesterday was the uh, the transfer waiver rule. And and I don't know exactly how they should handle this. I don't know that there is one right answer. I, obviously, I'm always pro-player, and pro-player means more freedom to transfer if that gives a player more opportunity to play or whatever the case may be. Now, the uh, board of directors said yesterday that it is it is not recommending potential changes to the transfer waiver process. Now, the Division One Council is expected to vote on a one-time transfer waiver um, that, that would basically, they're going to vote sometime in May, that would allow student-athletes in football, men's and women's basketball, baseball, and men's ice hockey to transfer and compete immediately at their new school. Uh, again, Jack, this COVID thing, it is weird. It is unprecedented. It, it's nothing that any of us were prepared for and and we don't really know how to handle it and we're proving that every day but i don't know how i feel about an immediate one-time transfer waiver because uh, i mean if you allow this to happen in football and basketball i mean a bunch of guys could just jump ship and go elsewhere and and i don't know if again i'm pro player but I, I also don't want to see just a transfer frenzy that totally changes the landscape of college basketball and football yeah, I think that's what's weird is because me and you have always 
pretty much been pro player. And this is like one of those situations where it's like, it's kind of getting me off that side as strongly because like you said, I think what we have to worry about is competitive balance of sports. And so I know it's a weird time, but you don't want to make basically an overreacting move to allow people to be able to transfer. But then you have some teams just get loaded up where guys are like, well, we can all just go here. And then you create that competitive, you know, basically imbalance. Can I play devil's advocate real quick? Could, could you make you, the I mean, argument? I was going to say, you could make the argument that already is. Well, no, I was going to say, could you make the argument that if players were given a one-time transfer waiver, then guys who are currently at Alabama, LSU, Georgia, Ohio State, guys on the offensive side of the ball at OU, who aren't getting playing time, would transfer somewhere where they would get playing time and be really good players, so maybe you would have uh, a little better disbursement of the talent? So, so maybe you you even the playing field through transfers by guys who aren't playing, transferring somewhere where they will play. So now we have more players across the country who are more talented actually on the field. I mean, that's a good argument. That's possible. I also think that it could, you know, hurt some of these smaller schools though, or maybe it's yeah. you know, where they have a couple of good players, and that's what keeps them somewhat competitive and interesting. That if a couple of those guys go. Or like what Oklahoma State, like? Oklahoma State's got this big class coming in. What if some of the guys who are there now decide, well, I've got this one-time transfer waiver. All these big names are coming in. I'm going to have to really fight, you know, to keep my spot here. Eh, I'm going to head out. I think, I think I'm going well, to call it I'm going to go play at Ole Miss. Well, and think about it from an OSU standpoint. Let's just be honest. Let's just use our team as an example. What if, what if Nick Saban says, hey, Chuba, I'll make you a guy that can, you know, have 30 Ooh. carries a game in Alabama and he decides to transfer there, what does that make OSU the outlook next year look like? That makes them lose more. Like, but those are the things where it's not just those those middling players. Like, I mean, it allows, if you're going to open it up for some players to transfer, you have to open it up for everybody. So, I mean, you look at Chuba or even what if Tylen Wallace decides, you know what, I want to go somewhere else. Like, I mean, that's the stuff that, that would like Oklahoma State could really be hurt by stuff like that. Nothing that those guys would leave. Yeah, just theoretical, would. just thought exercise. But using it as an actual thought exercise with the team that you know that, that we're covering, those are big deals. And that's where I just don't, I don't know. I don't think it's a great idea to allow those immediate transfers. I think if people really want to, you know, transfer and sit out a year or so, even like with Jalen Hurts or even what Baker did. I, I think that's probably the right way. I think that's how you really make people – it's not making them pay for transferring, but more so making sure that there's that competitive balance. Yeah, I completely agree. Jack, great stuff. We will do it again next Friday. Hey, sounds good. Thanks, bud. Absolutely. That's Jack Klein. Joins us here on Fridays on Locked on Pokes. Glad everyone has been with us all week. Uh, looking forward to getting back at it on Monday. Everybody have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to Locked on Pokes.